This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We are right in the middle of a series that we've called Because I Love You, really taking four weeks in February where we celebrate Valentine's Day and we think about love so much in relationships to examine the love of the Father and to ask God the question, God, how are you loving us? Because it's my belief that even as we've dug into this series that God is often loving us in ways that we don't want to be loved. How many of y'all know that sometimes we try to love our kids, lovingly guiding them, and they refuse that love, right? And I think that maybe, perhaps, this has been such a powerful series over the past few weeks because we've exposed ways that God wants to love us that we've ran from. Now, just to give you kind of a a, a map of where we're going to be for the next month or so. We have one more week left in this series. We'll finish it up next week. And and I've invited uh, Pastor Carrie Weaver, who, who just joined our staff to, to kind of bring this series to a close. He's going to be talking about how God lovingly doesn't keep us from conflicts in relationships. How God is loving and doesn't keep us from that, and what God's plan is to deal with that, all right? You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a wonderful close to this series. And then in March, we're going to do a series that I am so very excited about called Rise in the Storm, because every one of us in this room has faced a time that we failed, every single one of us. We've faced a time where we've tried hard, we've given it our best, and we've fallen flat on our face, and we're going to ask the question, God, what does it take for me in the midst of catastrophic failure to get up, to rise, and to continue to follow you? The Bible says that, the, that you may fall seven times, but the righteous will rise eight. Right? So what does it take to rise in the storm? I don't want you to miss that. So to get started today, because we're smack dab in the middle of a political season, right? I'm not going to get, this is as political as I'm ever going to get on you. I want to tell you a story today, all right? I'll tell you a story about a name that's mentioned quite a bit as we've progressed into this political season, all right? It's a story about Ronald Reagan. Now, I, I don't know if you love stories as much as I do, but I, I love this story uh, of, of President Reagan. When he was a young boy, his family moved all over. His dad was a salesman, and so because of that, there would be this kind of need to, to find a new community where he, he could sell his products, right? And so they finally landed when he was uh, getting into his teenage years into a small town where, where they stayed really through, through his high school days. When he was 15, Ronald Reagan convinced a local park to hire him for free as a lifeguard. Here's a picture of of him as a lifeguard. Look at this. That's, That's President Reagan when he was about 17 years old. He earned quite a reputation. He was he was kind of at a a a park that we would be familiar with. It, it was not a, a pool. It was actually a swimming area on a lake. This is what it looked like where he was the uh, the lifeguard. There was a tower there at the end of the pier, and that's where he stayed most summers. 
throughout the course from 15 until 18 when he graduated, he rescued and saved over 70 people from drowning. It was actually 77 and, and still holds the record right, right at, that, at that point for the most people saved a, as a lifeguard. He told this story, and I think it's, it's remarkable, and, and his wife recorded it in a memoir. You know, when he was about 17 years old, he had just get, he, he was smitten with the cutest girl in school. I, I know none of us have ever been in that state before, but that's where he was. He was just enamored by this girl, and he said, one day I was lifeguarding, I was up in my tower, and I noticed that she was there. And he said, you know, it's awkward because you don't want to look at her too much, but you want to look at her enough that she knows you're interested in her. He said, so I'm, I'm paying attention to her, but trying not to be that creepy guy on the tower. And, and, and I'm looking around, and, and I finally I look over, and I see her. She's out there swimming by herself, and she's standing there waving to me. He said, I looked away, and I was, I was so excited. I didn't want to look back too quickly because I didn't want to seem as excited as I was. So I, I, I was staring off into the distance looking, and he said, my chest just kept bowing up a little bit more. I just started getting, started getting so excited. I knew when I turned back around, she was going to be mouthing the words, I love you, right? And when he turned back around, all he could see was the tip of her hand. She was drowning. <laughs> so he dove in and rescued her. She never liked him after that. I think that so many times, so many times we're right where Reagan was in that moment. We're confused. Because we're positioned in loving relationships to give. And we get confused and start worrying about what we get. So on top of that tower, Reagan was there to give his attention to rescue those who were in need. But he got confused about what he was getting. See, I want to remind you of something that we talked about in that first week. It's this, that real love is always selfless. Real love is always selfless. It does not take itself into consideration. It places others before itself. That's what real love looks like. So what I want to take, do today as we open, I want to take you to a, a passage out of Philippians. Philippians 2. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I want you to see how it opens And I want you to see what God is doing here. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Isn't that a tough thing to start out with, right? That God wants us to love the same way that God loves. In our relationships, we need to have the same mindset that Jesus has. Now, the beauty of the the writing of the Apostle Paul is he's not going to leave it there. He's then going to paint the picture of what God's love for us looks like, beginning in verse 6. Who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider Equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, love, real love, is selfless. Real love says, 
I must go. Real love says, I must give. I've been in heaven. I will lay aside my authority. I will lay aside my position. I will lay aside the reverence that I have. I will not consider myself, though I am equal with the Father, I will lay that aside so that I can become that which I created. And in becoming that which I created, I will not ask those who I created to serve me. Instead, I will take on the form of a servant. And I will humble myself, humble myself to take on the plan that the Father has to rescue those things that we have created. And I will humble myself to the point of letting these sinful people that I love execute me so that they, the people who are executing me, can be redeemed and rescued. Think about that. That's what love looks like. See, I want you to see this today as we get ready to kind of dive into our discussion today real love has a direction it has a direction think about that that's what selflessness describes real love looks like this we're going to do a little whiteboard this morning for you this is what real love looks like love is coming out that's what selfless means. It is not originating in me. It is not, it's not or, oriented towards me instead. Let me say that. It is originating in me and coming out of me. Love has a direction. And in that, I would say that love gives. Love gives. That outcoming of love is the act of giving. Love is the motivation behind the action. As a matter of fact, I would say that we can take the attributes of love, the way that we often define love, and talk about it this way, that love gives, look at this, affection. Love gives affection. When you love something, you are affectionate with it. You are affectionate with your spouse. You are affectionate with your kids. You are even affectionate with your dog when you love it. And Sometimes when he poops on the carpet, you are not affectionate. All right? Love gives, look at this, the next one. Love gives attention. Love pays attention. I told you that a few weeks ago, that love pays attention. It sees. It pays attention. And the things that we love in life, we pay attention to them. We give our attention to it. This this last one, affirmation. Love gives Affirmation. Now, here's the problem. So many times we create in our own minds, in our own hearts, a bad definition of love. Because what we define love as is actually its byproducts. Love gives attention. Love gives affirmation. Love gives. And if we take attentiveness and affection and affirmation and start labeling those as what love is, All we're doing is defining it by its byproducts, not by its essence. See, far too many times we start to label love that way. Love is affection. And then then we do something that's really dangerous. We invert that era. And we start saying, I'm not loved because I'm not getting attention. I'm not getting affirmation. I'm not getting affection. But let me just ask you, is that love? 
Is that love when the arrow is pointed towards me and I'm asking the question, why am I not getting that? Why am, I not, why am I not getting attention? Why am I not getting affection? Why am I not getting affirmation? Why am I not getting? Is that love? I would suggest to you that it's not, that that is lust. That's what lust is. You see, lust always wants love always gives. I would go so far as to say lust always takes. Love always takes, or lust always takes, and love always gives. You see, there's an appetite that is contained in lust. I want to spend a few minutes talking about that this morning. You see, lust is an appetite that will never be satisfied. It is an appetite that will never be satisfied. When that arrow gets flip-flopped around and you start saying, I will be loved when I get the right amount of attention. I will be loved when I get the right amount of affection. I will be loved when I get the right amount of affirmation. You have totally missed it. That right amount is always going to be a little bit more than you already have. And here's the thing. Men and women, especially in relationships, face lust in very different ways. All right? Men often face love, lust in, in, a, in a physical sense, in the desiring of something other than what's theirs. That's exactly what's addressed in the Ten Commandments, to be longing or to lusting for something that is not yours. But men don't just stop there. Men also lust in the conquest of pursuing someone. You see, lust can also provoke a man to say, I want someone that I'm chasing outside of what I already have. But lust, lust is not simply a masculine trait. And I think that we have relegated it to that. Because oftentimes when Jesus talked about what lusting meant, he used it in broad terms that approached men. He said, if you've ever looked on a woman and lusted after her, you've committed adultery in your heart already. But see, I would invert and say the same thing to a woman. That women struggle with lust on a totally different dynamic. Women struggle with lusting for attention from somebody else because they don't feel like they're getting the attention at home that they deserve. Women lust for affirmation where somebody would tell them that they look pretty and that they're, they're a beautiful person and that they would, uh, their personalities would be affirmed. Women lust for affirmation. And women will lust for affection. But I will tell you that more often than not in the confines of an extramarital affair, for a woman, sex is something that they give up so that they can get those other things. And I'm just going to stop here and say this. If you're married and you're a woman and you're looking for something in another man that your husband should give you, 
whether it be affirmation or attention, and you found the man who's giving it to you, though you may have never had sex, you're having an affair. Because that's what lust is concerned with. Lust is concerned with what we get. And it creates an appetite that will never be satisfied. If you're constantly looking to be fulfilled by what you get in a relationship, you will never be satisfied. If you're looking for what you get, if you're constantly defining the health and how valuable a relationship is to you by what you get, you will never be satisfied because God did not make you to be satisfied by earthly relationships. He created you to love each other the way he has loved you. So what I'd like to do is to go back to that original architecture of love and talk to you about how we can give, how we can approach giving in relationships to make them work. How can we re address, reorient our hearts to say, all right, I'm going to start thinking about what I give so that I can make this relationship work better. This works in, in the relationships that you have with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your brothers and sisters. It works in all of them. But we need to start with this. Do not evaluate your relationships through give and take. That's the first thing in your notes today. Do not evaluate your relationships through give and take. Let me put it this way. There is no spreadsheet, no balance sheet for love. Love never balances out. And oftentimes, I want you to see how dangerous this perception is. We think about loving relationships through economic terms. You give, and then I'll give. If I get, then you can get. It's an economic exchange. Well, you didn't take out the trash. Mm-mm. You didn't sweep the floor like I asked you. You want to get in bed tonight? Uh-uh. We ain't doing that. Oh, you want to go buy that? Well, you only cooked dinner once this week. I don't see that happening. Do y'all see how this works? You see how it works? Do you see how, like, absolutely hideous that is? That is not love. That is not love. And too often... We do this, and here's what happens when we evaluate relationships through give and take. We either become prideful or jealous. We either become prideful or jealous. We become prideful when we feel like we're giving what we're supposed to do. Oh, man, I nailed it this week. I was the perfect husband. I swept the floors. I did the dishes. I even changed the sheets on the bed, right? We get prideful. And what happens when we get prideful? The Bible says the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to fall. See, pride is that subtle sin of thinking that you've got it right. Or here's the worst thing, comparing yourself to somebody else and going, well, you know what? I'm a better husband than them. 
You know your friend? Yeah, you come over here talking about how she's complaining. I'm better than him. I'm better than that. See, pride is that subtle sin that compares us and makes us better than other people. Or we become jealous. Jealousy is one of those dangerous things in a relationship where we sit back and look and we think, and I wish, I wish my wife would give to me the way his wife does. She cooks dinner every night. I got to stop off and buy dinner every day. My wife won't cook for me no matter what. And she cooks healthy, y'all. She cooks healthy. Every time I can get my wife to cook, it's got a can of biscuits and a stick of butter in there. She's trying to fatten me up so nobody else will like me. I mean, we think that kind of stuff, right? We think that kind of stuff. You see, jealousy is that subtle sin of lusting for what other people have. It's that subtle sin of lusting for what other people have. See, we can't evaluate relationships through give and take. I'm going to take you back. Number two, this is something just to remind you. We need to let the love of God be our standard for love. Isn't that what Philippians 2 says? Now, in your relationships, you have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. We need to let the love of God be how we evaluate love. You don't need to let your friends that you think have the perfect marriage that you never see behind the closed doors, you don't let them be the standard to which you hold yourself. You don't let the person that you see in celebrity status that you think has an awesome, successful marriage, you don't let them be the standard. You don't let your mom and dad be the standard. You let Jesus be the standard. All right? Look at what the Bible says in 1 John four nineteen. We love each other because he first loved us. We understand love because love came from God. It was given to us, and because of what we got from him, we can give it away. That's what love is. Anything else that is outside of that is a manufactured, faulty product that will fail you. We need to let the love of God be our standard of love. So if we're going to think about what we're going to give Here's what I would advise you. How do we give to make relationships work? Focus on giving grace. Focus on giving grace. That means looking at someone that has wounded you and hurt you and trampled your heart and you love them and you're in relationship with them and never without ever having to open your mouth saying, I forgive you. Water under the bridge. I trust God to take care of you and convict you and change you. I can give you grace. And you know why we give that? Because that's exactly what God gives us. Because every single one of y'all is a failure. Every single one of you have looked into the heart of God and said, no, God, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my own way. And God looked at you and said, I love you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to give you grace right now. And I'm going to win you by grace. See, that's God's plan for redemption. God didn't send Jesus. Jesus would even say this. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
And I've told you this before. I just want to remind you of this. The only thing, the only thing that will allow your loving relationships to last through all seasons is grace. That's it. Grace is the only sustaining factor for loving relationships. It is not honor. It is not mutual respect. It is not finding value in them. It is certainly not the affection and the affirmation. Grace. And our capacity to give grace is the factor that will more define how sustainable our relationships are. Because God has given you so much grace. We, in turn, are called to lovingly give it to the people that we love as well. See, the love of God is the model for how we are to love. The way that God gives to us is the way that we are to give. So what I'd like to do as we get ready to close today is to talk about how God gives to us. Because the way that God gives to us is the model for how we are supposed to give to everyone else. The way that God has given to us is how we should give. His standard of giving should be our standard of giving. So let's look at that. First in your notes today is that God gives generously. God gives to us generously. Now, I don't know if you're that family that's in here that doesn't feel like you've been given to very generously, but I want to just kind of clear it up for you. If you own a car, I don't care if it's a 1977 Ford Pinto. If you own a car, you're in the top 1% of all wealth in the world today. That's you. That's who you are today. If you today can go home and turn on a faucet and get clean water, you're one of, what, two-thirds of the world that has that capacity? While there are millions of people who every day just to get water, much less clean water, have to walk 15, 20, 25 miles just to the source to get back to their family. The minute that you were born, thousands of people all over this world were born. And I promise you that there were those around this world born into less um, kind of economically inclined areas who are just as talented, have just as much potential as you do. We in this room, we've been blessed. God has given to us generously. First John, or John 1 verse 16 says this, from his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. God has been generous to you. And the thing about God's generosity is we find that in number two, that God gives consistently. How many of you are excited today that God is a faithful God? He's faithful. You want to know why I'm thankful that God's faithful? Because I have more than once given, given him every reason to check out on me. I have given him more than once every reason to step back and go, nope, you screwed it up too bad that time. We're not going any forward. Nope. Nope. Kevin, you just disqualified yourself. More than once have I given him a reason to say no to me. And God continues to say yes. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. 
That when we wake up in lungs, our lungs fill with new breath, that we have the potential to encounter him, to be known by him, to know him, to be loved by God. Every day, God is faithful to give to us. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commandments. You see, the thing is, is that when we obey his commandments, we find something else hidden in the way that God gives to us. A third characteristic, this is in your notes, that God gives joyfully. And I think that oftentimes we relegate joy to those moments when we experience the grand gifts in life, where we hold our newborn babies and hear them cry for the first time. When we, for the first time in our lives, get to unlock the door to a house that we've bought and purchased, and we can now put our family in safe, that we, we actually walk down the aisle or wait as our bride comes to us and we get to say, I do. Those moments are awesome, but I want you to understand that God gives joyfully even when it hurts him. Last year, we spent time looking at Hebrews 12 as a church and praying through it. I want to take you back there, and I want you to see something. Look at this. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus approached the cross, his motivation was joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy of looking at you and me who had no way to earn a relationship with God, for that joy he gave his life away. For the joy of knowing that the world would have a way to be made right with God, that the perfect sacrifice could be made, he laid his life down. For that he found joy. See, God gives joyfully to us. And really, We see in that joy the last characteristic of how God gives. God gives sacrificially. God gives so much that it hurts, that it costs. It's not comfortable the way that God gives to us. It's not convenient the way that God gives to us. It's not normal or easy. As a matter of fact, God goes well beyond all that. He is willing to sacrifice so that he can give to us. Think about that verse that we read out of Philippians 2. Think about that with me. A God who would be equal to the Father. Jesus who had eternally existed in heaven, looking into the heart of the Father and saying, I won't hold on to this position. I know that we're equals, but I'm going to let go of that. To be made into human likeness, to come and to be a frail child, if you've ever hold, held a, a two- or a three-week-old, and seen how frail they are, how much they need to be cared for. That he would then become not a king, not a ruler, not an influencer. He would become a servant. 
and ultimately he would submit to the powers that be giving his life in an execution where he was executed by the people he came to die for. God has given to us sacrificially. And so I want you to see how Philippians 2 finishes that story out, beginning in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to see today that when we get in life and we become so oriented on ourselves, We begin to define love by what we get, but that's not love at all. That's lust. You see, God wants us to love the way that he's loved us, to love people with a selfless love that gives to them because that's how God has loved you. You see, at the end of your life, you will not be remembered for what you've acquired or what you possess, but you will be remembered by what you gave. In that same way that Philippians describes, Jesus who gave it all made the greatest human sacrifice, now is honored by God the Father that every knee will eventually bow to him. When we choose to reorient the love that we have for other people and to become completely selfless, to focus on giving instead of getting. We rewrite the legacy that we're leaving. And it's my prayer today that you would realize that God has loved you so much that he's invited you to love other people in a selfless way because in that you experience his love in a brand new way. And he's done that all because he loves you. Let's pray. God, Thank you for that invitation to know you and to be known by you. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have every day as we're loved by you, that we're given by you so much. God, we ask today that through your grace and mercy that we would be able to see what you're doing in our hearts. God, there are some of us right now in the room, that we have ran from accepting and receiving the sacrifice that you paid the price for. We could never earn it. We could never buy it. We will never be good enough for it. But your sacrifice has generously paid for us to get out of prison. Something that we could never have earned. And there are some of us today, God, that are here who have ran from that. Because we've been much too concerned in life about what we get. So I want to pause right now. And I ask this question. I want everyone head bowed, eyes closed, nobody getting up. All right. Is that you? Have you been running from the invitation to lay your life down and give it all to God? Do you know today that God has loved you? And right now, even though you've been running, God is inviting you to lay it all down and to trust Him with it all. 
because right now he's here. And all you have to do is reach out to him, confess that you failed him, and he's going to take you, and he's going to hold you, and he's going to love you, and he's going to give to you. If that's you and you're here today and you know you've been failing God, you know you've been running from God, but you know today you need to get things right with him, raise your hand right now if that's you. Raise your hand. Who else? Who else is here today? Who else? Awesome. And I want to ask everybody a question. And I want you to be very honest with yourself. In front of God and in front of, and in front of your heart as you stare into it. Have you defined love by what you get instead of what you give away? And if you see how broken and messed up that is today, maybe God's inviting you into a different way of loving. If you say that I've been, that's me, I need to make that shift in my relationships. I love Jesus, but I need him to help me do that. Raise your hand right now. I need to help, I need God's help to start loving the right way. Raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. So God, for those that are here, that we just confess our need for you, that we haven't done this the right way. God, that you are here to care for us and take care of us. God, that you have given to us. And God, as you have loved us, help us to love others. God, for those who have made decisions this morning to follow you, to step out of a self-centered life, but to give their lives to you and to live that selfless, loving life. God, help us to make the right decisions. Lead us and guide us. For those that are here that have made that confession, we haven't loved the right way, but we've committed to do it. God, lead them as they begin to love through giving themselves away. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.